dedication of their first child. Uh, Don and Peggy have found a, a very uh, uh, physical way to build a church. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, to boost church attendance. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> in case uh, our visitors who are here haven't figured it out, we're very informal here. Uh, <clears throat> we would like to have a little formality than what we have, but we don't know any better. We don't know how to do it. So, so we just kind of stick with what we do best. Praise God. We do have a couple of birthdays of people here uh, before here for this dedication. I think it would be good for Brother Moran, if he would, to just stand and introduce these folks to you. Now, you'll get a chance to meet them at the end of the service. But Brother Moran, would you just stand and, and introduce these people? When he introduces you, why don't you stand, if you would? How are they related to you? Maybe on Peggy's side. All right. <laughs> okay. Great uncle. All right. in many areas of our country and many circles of fellowship that parents are true keepers of the house. Did you know that, that 90% of the young people who do not go to church and are not committed to the Lord rule the household? Now you may say, well, I disagree with that. Then try to get your child to go someplace for a weekend where he doesn't want to go. And see how much of a hassle you'll get. Now you'll find out. Now I know this to be true. We have a lot of young people here who have come from the drug scene. And from a culture that has been raised up in our society. And you know what I'm talking about. You can very well remember the times that your parents wanted you to do certain things. And you refused to do it. You said, I'm not going to do it. So the ability to be keepers of the house is certainly a unique one indeed. And the only way that you can assure that is get control in the household while the children are small and remain in control while they're small. And then when they get up in years, they respect that authority. They understand that authority. And, of course, they will live by that authority. Now, the university of Rhode Island recently made a study and in their study they were considering the most hazardous or dangerous places in life. The first place that they named being the most hazardous or dangerous was war. You cannot be in a condition or in a situation that's more hazardous than war and so they named this number one. Number two, they said to be in a riot would probably be the second most hazardous thing. 
in the world. Now, when we say hazard, we're not talking about just losing our life, but it encompasses uh, uh, everything. In other words, maybe losing your life along with being battered or being torn or the emotional distraught that is brought about as a result. I've seen war victims who were nervous wrecks. I've prayed with war victims who, who had guilt on their mind. They had killed people. They'd slain people. And they seemed to uh, lack the ability to outgrow this or are committed in the hands of God for true forgiveness. They, they were just mentally torn. Now, number two, as we stated, was riots. If you have been involved in a riot or you are susceptible to be involved in riot, it, riots, it leaves devastating effects upon you emotional. It, it, it plants rebellion in your heart. Now, the Bible teaches... Christians against being riotous. Now it does. Now number three, the University of Rhode Island in their survey said the third most devastating place in the world to be, and get get this now, would be a victim in an American home. That after a long survey that the American home, the average American home, leaves more devastating conditions on the average human being than any other condition in the world outside of war and riots. Now, that's hard to believe. But when I read the report and some of the things that they've called to my attention as I read I began to be persuaded that they had done much research in this area. It was not just an off-the-hat decision that they had made. Now, they go into things like this, that more people are shot by handguns in the home during family fights than by any other means or method in the world. In other words, more people are shot by family members in the home by handguns than people robbing banks and such. They go on to say that 20% of all police officers who are killed in the line of duty are killed when they approach homes where fights are in progress. 20% of all police officers who are killed in the line of duty, are killed when they approach family feuds. Now you think of that for a moment. You think it. And then you think of the American home. What is wrong? What is happening in the American home? Now all of you can know full well why we have shown the films by Dr. James Dobson, Focus on the Family. Because we do not personally want to become victimized by this type of philosophy. And there are certain powers and pressures in our world that are pushing and pushing and pushing. I received a call. I had uh, my children in, uh, in uh, Sun Prairie High School, and I made mention of this before, but I received a call from, from the head counselor several years ago at Sun Prairie, and he said, I just uh, felt that I need to call you. So he said, now, you have uh, talked with me before, 
And uh, you have been in the school before on various occasions. We got quite a few people from your church who have uh, members in our schools here. And he said, I just, uh, I'm just, uh," he said, at my wit's end, I don't know what to think. Now, this is what he told me. Listen to me carefully. He said, my daughter right now is not at home. Now, she's somewhere in our area. Now, he said, I'm, I'm extremely disturbed. He said, now, the reason why I'm extremely disturbed, because she ran away from home, and she, she was gone nine days. And I did not know where she was. I had the police looking for her. I had everybody looking for her. I found out that she was three houses from my house. And those people are very close to me. They're my neighbors. They're my friends. My daughter was there without any clean clothes, without any clean underwear or anything, and they never picked up the phone to call me and tell me that she was there. Now, he said, the situation is she ran away from home because she wanted to go to a party that I thought she shouldn't go to. Well, needless to say, she went to the party. Now, he said, I happen to be a counselor. And he said, now, he said, the problem is, now, he said, we have always felt as counselors that children have rights and that parents should not infringe upon those rights. Now, those rights that they have belong to them, that they're God-given. He said, now, you can always understand it when you're promoting that in other families, but when it hits your own, he said, it's a different situation altogether. Now, he said, we're planning on making a trip up north to a wedding Saturday. Now, we know our daughter will be here because we have already talked with her, and she said she would be here. She doesn't want to go. She wants to go to another party. If I tell her that she cannot go, she's going to run away from home again. If I tell her that she can go, knowing full well that she's doing things that she ought not to do, that she's getting stoned like all the other kids, he said, what kind of a father does that make me? Now, he says, it appears to me for the first time in my experience in counseling that we have created in our society an enormous giant of a problem that's eating up the American home. I didn't feel that way until I happened to become a victim of something I have helped create. I said, now, Pastor, you may not have the answer for me, but what should I do? Of course, I told him, I said, well, uh, I'm not for sure what to tell you to do. You say your daughter's going to go anyway, so I'll tell you what I would do. I would insist that she not go. He said, but she's going to go anyway. Well, that's true. But you see, you know that she shouldn't go, and as a parent, you're personally responsible. Make sure that whatever you do, that you're right with God. Then, if she defies your authority, at least you can say, well, I didn't put my approval upon it. And if something happens there at that party that leaves emotional stress upon that child that will last a lifetime, at least you will have the conscience 
of knowing that you did not endorse it, that you did not tell her she could go. Now, I don't know whether she went or what, but nevertheless, this is what he made reference to. The American family home. Now, while I may be painting a bleak picture, please understand that I do believe that throughout our nation there are many evangelical Christians and people of other walks of life, even outside the Christian uh, uh, rank and file, who have a very much and a very deep concern for their household. I know that. I know that to be a fact. I've talked to people, and, and it is amazing to me some of the enormous controls that some people have over their families, uh, even uh, when they don't believe in God. But the secret of it is that you take the child when he is young, and that's what uh, Solomon was saying in the book of Ecclesiastes, and you've got to put every bit of the teaching you can in that child while that child is young. Because if you wait till that child gets to be a teenager or, or upper teens or such, and then you bring him in and say, look, I've decided I'm going to change this household. You might change it for you, and you may change it for your wife, but you don't always change it for that child. You don't always change it for that child. Now, the keepers of the house, the greatest responsibility in life is to keep your family together in a godly fashion. Did you know that much of the Scripture in both the Old and the New Testaments dedicated to this? It's not an easy task, especially living in our present world. Peter Marshall told the story in one of his books, and I'd like to relate this to you. Of course, Peter Marshall has passed on. He was the Senate chaplain for a good number of years. Most of you are familiar at least with the name. But in one of his books, uh, and I'm not for sure which book it is, but I just remember reading the story. He spoke of, uh, of an old gentleman uh, years and years ago who was considered to be the keeper of the spring. Maybe some of you have read this. But way over in Austria, on the eastern slopes of the Alps, way up high above a small city, there was an old gentleman that lived. He was a mountaineer, first class. And uh, he had taken an interest in uh, keeping the brook uh, and the spring clean. And it seemed like he devoted his whole life just to clean out that spring. Well, the people of the village down below saw the value of it, so they put him on the payroll. They felt that, that uh, he should be compensated somewhat for this. And so he tried the harder and kept it real clean. As the, the leaves were falling in the, the fall of the year, he would pick up all of the debris and such, and, and uh, he would do nothing but just, just clean out that spring and keep, the, keep all of the uh, debris and such out of the, the stream that was flowing down to the, to the small city. Now, in the small city below, there was a large pond there, a deep pond, a, a, more like a lake. And this man would keep it all clean and, and such. Well, because of the lake there and because of the clarity of the lake, it became a resort area. People liked to swim there, and it had a nice beach. And, and, and after a while, shops uh, uh, popped up all over the place, and, 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 and uh, ice cream parlors and, and uh, uh, fast food services and such. And, and so the city was growing, and it did grow. 
And it grew more and more and more. And it became a great vacation spot because of all the mountains and such around. And the clarity of the lake was unbelievable. It was crystal clear. You could see the big trout swimming deep down beneath. People would take boat rides and canoe uh, uh, ventures out into this lake. And they could see way, way, way down below. And they would see all of these fish and such. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful place to spend the weekend or a vacation. However, after a number of years passed, and other men were elected to the city council, and they began to audit the books, they noticed that this old mountaineer was drawing a salary. And somebody asked the question, who is this man anyway? Nobody knew him. They did not even know his name, other than seeing it printed in the book. I don't believe I've ever... Now, why is he drawing this salary? He said, well, he's the keeper of the spring. They decided, because nobody knew him, and because of his job seemed to be very unimportant, that they would lay him off. And so they sent someone up there from the city council to inform him that he would no longer receive a salary from this city. So he folded his hands, went back into his cottage, and uh, did not devote his time to keeping the spring. Of course, when fall came and leaves fell in the spring and such the water... Uh, began to turn, turn brown. And of course, uh, as the brook uh, babbled down the hillside and the mountains and went in, well then, uh, naturally, the, the lake turned brown. And uh, people would take their canoe trips and they couldn't see the fish below anymore. After a while, algae started growing in the lake and people didn't like to swim there anymore. And uh, so people weren't coming to the, the village anymore. Uh, didn't take very long until uh, there was scum on the top. People didn't appreciate the place anymore, so they didn't pick up after themselves. They let their picnic supplies and everything lay out on the ground and such. It wasn't long until population of the city began to decrease and, and uh, the beach was bare and the shops closed, nailed up, and, and the city council looked and they said, we've got a problem for sure. How come we can't keep this place going? This was a booming resort area. Well, someone on the city council said, well, uh, this may seem insignificant, but I have viewed the problem and it appears to me that what's happened to our town is that we cut off the salary of a very important man. Who? The old mountaineer. Well, what's he got to do with this? Well, say, he's not keeping the spring anymore. And the reason why that our beautiful crystal clear lake is polluted is because the mountaineer, way up high on the mountain, is not keeping the debris out. The reason why it turned brown and such. And they traced that problem. Now, this is supposed to be a true life story. They traced the problem back to the old insignificant mountaineer. And you know what I think sometimes that we feel as, as Christian fathers and mothers, sometimes we, we wonder about the condition of our world. We wonder why that all of our world, which is called in the book of Revelation a sea, out of the sea came forth the Antichrist, and the sea was nations and people and tongues and kindreds. And we wonder why the world is 
Is this such a bad place to live, so to speak? And we fail to realize that, that our job as the keeper of our spring is not an insignificant job, but it's an important job. And brother, Sister Moran, you are the keepers of the spring, so to speak. Small things that appear to be so insignificant have to be dipped out of the wells of life. Pollution that may seem to be so insignificant have to be plucked out. I made reference to this in uh, dedication of a child. I'm not for sure whose child it was several months ago. I talked about habits that, that, that are formed and such. Now you can go in some homes and the children never pick up after themselves. Consequently, when they go out in, in picnic areas and place, you can find you can just find all kinds of, of litter around. I was recently in Texas, and for some reason the Texans are not as uh, as environmentally concerned as as uh, they are here in in Wisconsin. My dad uh, got out, and he said, "I didn't like the way the the road looked." My dad went a mile and a quarter and picked up 398 pop cans. He said, son, I could not believe it. People just drinking pop and throwing them out. Drinking pop and throwing them out. Drinking pop and throwing them out. Well, there seems to be a great movement in our world in, in the area of environment. We want to clean up the world. We want it to be a good, clean place to live. But when I speak of keepers of the spring, I'm talking more about the inner soul of man, that I am the outer environment that you and I associate with every day. We want to scrub up and clean up and make ourselves look pretty and make ourselves look new and fresh and young. This is a real thrusting, thriving business in our world today. Can you feature all the money that is spent on cosmetics and such to make the man look young and so forth? Now, I'm not saying that I'm against trying to look young. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that when you accentuate the outside and you constantly stress the outside and you're not interested in the development of character inside and what your child is inwardly, then something will drastically happen to that child as he grows older, that will cause him to be an emotional wreck when he gets to be old. That we need to be concerned, not just with the outside, but also with the inside. Now, I'd like to call your attention to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3 does contain the particular conditions that will exist in the last days. 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, 
from such turn away. Now, I want to call your attention to verse 1 of this. Know this also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I want to talk about the word perilous just for a moment. The word perilous appears in the original Greek only twice in the New Testament. Now I say in the original Greek. Okay, it's here. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, the 8th chapter. And we will see the other place in which it does appear. Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 28. And when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding furious, so that no man might pass by the way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Thou art come hither to torment us before the time. Now before the time is making reference to the time in which Satan will be bound and cast into the lake of fire forever and forever and forever. Now this, these men were possessed with demons. This story is also told in the book of Mark. It's told in the book of Luke. Mark 5 and Luke 8. Now in verse 28... If you look at this very carefully, follow it with me, okay? There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding furious. Now, exceeding furious is taken from the very same Greek word that perilous is taken from. Now, while I'm not a Greek scholar, I did go to the trouble of looking it up to find out what would also be another synonym in the English language? Another synonym in the English language would be savage. Now, you can think of savage when you think of these men. Now, you can see them living in a graveyard, in tombs. We're talking about in burial sites. Now, it's hard for me to believe that, that people could become so untamed and undomesticated. Those are also synonyms for savage. Untamed, undomesticated. If you read in the Bible concerning people who were possessed with demons, well, there was a young man who was possessed with a demon and he just tore himself all the time and cut himself and broke chains. He tried to burn himself with fire and drowned himself. Now, there are a lot of people who are locked up in mental institutions today that quite frankly the, the problem is not in their mind as much as in their heart. Now, I do understand mental illness and I do not believe that everyone who has a mental problem has a demon. And I think that you and I need to understand this because we do accentuate the fact that demons can be cast out and people can be made whole. And I believe that the reason why that God has put the discerning of spirits as he did in, in 1 Corinthians 12 is that there are times when we discern that there's something wrong with a person mentally and there's something wrong with a person spiritually. 
And we need the gift of discerning of spirits so that we can detect this. We don't want to just be praying with people who are mentally retarded, so to speak, and making those people feel so uncomfortable around us because the problem is, is that they have a, a mental obstruction someplace. But people who are genuinely possessed with demons, who have untamed, undomesticated, savage spirits. You read books about the West. The Apaches were considered to be savage. You know why they called the Apaches savage? Because, you see, when they fought, they fought in such an uncouth way. They were ruthless characters. They took knives and they scalped people and... And some of the things that, that I have read that the, that the Apaches did, I would not even attempt to repeat behind this pulpit. But one thing that they did, they literally bit chunks out of people. They would kill people with their teeth. They would go for the juggler vein, and they would literally rip the man's vein in two and drink his blood as it came out. Now, that's hard to believe, but that's documented history. And it's hard to believe that they would actually do that. They could take their bare hands and kill somebody just simply by biting and, and, and pulling and, and such. Unbelievable. So when the Bible says that these people were exceedingly furious... He was saying, they're savage. Now, there had to be something wrong with them to be living in graveyards, living in tombs. Of course, <clears throat> if you know what happened, the Bible tells us that the Lord cast those devils out of those men. And the Scripture tells us that the next thing that happened, they went and clothed themselves. They were naked. Now, it's not mentioned here in the book of uh, Matthew, but it is mentioned in the book of Mark and Luke. To get the whole story, you have to read the other two Gospels. Now, these people were naked. They were people who just, they were out of their mind. And when people would walk by, they'd run out at them and scare them. You talk about a scene for Halloween. This was one for sure. I'm in a real live one. So when the Bible says that they were exceedingly furious, they were perilous, they were savage, they were untamed, they were undomesticated. Now the only other place in the Bible where people are described to be this way is in First or Second Timothy 3. Now can you believe that? Sometimes we wonder about a lot of fads and things that sweep our world. A few years ago, everyone was streaking, pulling their clothes off. Now, that's what he's talking about. When he says perilous times, he's saying that savage times shall come. You mean savage times? Undomesticated. Untamed. People just go wild. They get out of their mind. They don't know how to behave themselves. They don't know how to act. 
Now, I may be coming across real strong, but I'm telling you something that Jesus Christ thought was so important that he inspired writers to put it in the Bible for us to talk about. And I believe that we need to preach about it. We need to talk about it. Grievous, harsh, savage, untamed times shall, shall come. Explain that again, Brother Graham. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Did you know, and I have talked about this, and I, I, I really believe this. I believe that there are many self-help books on the market that uh, are profitable and beneficial. But I will say this. I think at the root of a lot of self-help books is humanism, of which I oppose. Now, you can't just pick up an average self-help book off the shelf. And it, just because it has a few scriptures in it, equate it with the New Testament. There are many pages of that book that does not sound to me like that you can equate it with the New Testament. I've got a lot of them in my library. I've read a lot of them. But you see, you just can't, you can't just sit down 30 minutes every day and, and, and repeat after you read a phrase in a self-help book, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to be okay, and be successful. It takes more than that to be successful. It takes more than that. And you can't change your nature and your character just by doing that. But I do know a God who is able to tame the untamed nature. He's able to take away the savage nature. He's able to take away the undomesticated nature. He's able to take those who are possessed with devils and clean them up. He's able also to take those who are not possessed with devils but who have physical disabilities you see, our God is a God that likes to do good things for people. Dennis was down here tonight, and in no way do I equate his condition with what I have read. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But here's a young man who is blind. The doctors can't help him. Are you saying that God will open his eyes? I never said that, but I am saying that God can open his eyes. You see, God is a God that likes to do good things for people. He really does. Brother Moran, God wants to do something good for your family. He wants to do something good for Matthew Ryan. He wants to do something good for Melissa. This is the God that we serve. He is a God that is interested in the spiritual well-being of mankind. You may say, then, then why are so many people spoken of in the Bible as being blasphemers and disobedient and unthankful? Because man himself, has not kept the spring cleared up. He's let too many things fall in his pool. And what could be a babbling brook that would bring life is stagnant and full of scum, and it brings death and disease. But we are the keepers of the spring. We are the keepers of the house. Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. Now, I'll tell you, I, uh, I've never been one to eat a lot of salt. 
Brother Hightower preached about sugar, and I was saying amen to everything he said, simply because that I'm not, I don't eat much in a lot of sweets. Now, I don't know what I would have said had I liked it. You know, sometimes you, you have preferences, not convictions. But uh, I preferred, uh, you know, what he was saying. I liked it because I, I hardly ever, if I'm at a restaurant or place, order something sweet. I might eat ice cream a little bit. And I don't eat much salt simply because I ha- have had a weight problem for a long time. So I don't really care that much about salt because I understand that salt's supposed to do something to your system that enlarges you. We won't go into that any further. But <clears throat> So uh, I've been told that uh, salt's not the best thing for me. But the Bible says, <clears throat> Ye are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. And we know the Bible didn't say that you're like salt. No, it didn't say that. You're likened to salt. It did not say that. It says, ye are salt. That simply means that Brother Moran and Sister Moran, you have the power to preserve life for your children. You're the salt. Now, I came from down in Galveston, Texas. I actually, I lived in Henderson, but I lived in Galveston for a long time. And I remember, sister, is Sister Rutherford here tonight? She's still sick. She's still sick. But we used to live out on a, just a, by the causeway where you go into Galveston. It's about a three-mile causeway. Galveston's an island off of uh, uh, the mainland of Texas there, out in the Gulf of Mexico. And we lived out by the causeway. Now, to get to our house, you had to go across another little causeway, and there was one house out there, and that's where we lived. And as a high school, I say high school, junior high student, I worked at a fishing resort there. I sold shrimp and cleaned out boats and a lot of things. But uh, they used those shrimp, you know, to, to feed the tourists who came through. You're talking about good shrimp. Now, you can get it down there. Big jumbo shrimp cost you $9, $10 a pound here. Brother Charlie's familiar with that and all that. But I'll tell you what happened. <clears throat> See, every now and then when a young man would get married and they were having the wedding, somebody would slip out to the dock and they would get like a gallon of shrimp and they would bring it in. And while the wedding was taking place, they would open the hubcaps and fill them full of shrimp and close them. <clears throat> Now, these were fresh shrimp. These were shrimp that had not been canned. So I can see the young man, the young lady, you know, the next day going down the road. And uh, after one day, uh, not much happening. But the next day, hot. Oh, you talk about hot in South Texas, it gets hot. 104, 105 degrees in the shade. You know, all of a sudden... Uh, there's an odor, an aroma that comes in. <laughs> and uh, so the young man begins to look at the girl. And she looks at him and she slides over a little bit. And uh, <clears throat> she's probably wondering about this new husband. 
And he's got the same idea about her. See? So she slides on over and slides on over and slides on over. And after a while, there's no more room to slide. And the odor is getting worse and worse and worse. And she's trying to figure out, where is that coming from? Tell me. So... They're on their honeymoon, and of course they find a place to stay the second night. And uh, their primary concern is the shower. You know, there's got to be something wrong someplace. I've never smelt anything. So the next day they go out to their car, and the sun's up, and they get inside, and what in the world? So they get to investigating and they find out that the smell is coming down to the tire. But they can't figure out what it is. They think they've run over something dead. So they travel on for another half a day or so and they said, we've got to do something. So they go through a robo-wash, get everything, and it's still, wow. And can you feature a young bride and a groom taking a screwdriver or a jack handle and taking that hubcap off, friend, it would make skunk smell like chenille number five. (laughs) And you see, Innocent, productive people who are just left to the heat of Satan without the preserving power of the salt of parents become real, rotten, vicious people. What we're doing here tonight is one of the most important things in the world. Making you as parents, and especially Don and Peggy, aware that the Holy Ghost that God has given to you has preserving power that right in your own hands you hold the power to preserve Life for Matthew, Ryan, and Melissa. We want Sister Karen O'Crowley to come at this time, and we want her to sing. dedicate Matthew, Ryan, Moran for all to see a new child of God into your great family. We promise to give tender loving care and the burdens of life will bear. We offer up Matthew to you to guide and protect and tell what to do. We ask your your blessing to keep our love true to guide and direct Matthew on to you.
We love you, Jesus, with all our hearts and pray that your spirit will not depart to light our path along the way and live for you in what we do and say so that your child, Matthew Moran, will walk with us to the promised land. Here, but perhaps if just uh, 
Mr. and Mrs. Moran and weeklies would come, if you would, to start with. We'd like for them to come and stand right here, and then we will have the rest of you to come when we're greeting. Praise God. Now we would like for the elders of our assembly to come at this time, if they would. Somehow I feel that there's more here than what you can see with your eyes. That all of heaven looks upon this particular occasion. The message that was preached and the, the poem that Brother Harris wrote and then the song that I think Sister Karen wrote have all contributed to the seriousness of this particular moment. So Brother and Sister Moran, without hesitation, do you turn over to the Lord Jesus Christ, your son Matthew Ryan, for him to keep and to hold. And will you before God and all of these witnesses dedicate your life afresh to your Redeemer tonight? Praise God. I'd like to take Matthew, Ryan, from your hands. We offer him up at this time to Almighty God. Now, Lord, in your presence... And before all of these witnesses, and before the angels that look on, we dedicate to you at this time, Matthew Ryan Moran. And may the power of the Holy Ghost rest upon him. May his heart remain tender and young and vibrant with your presence. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Don, I give you back your child. And we want the elders of the church to lay hands upon you and Peggy. Also upon the grandparents. That the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon them. As they influence the life of this child. Step forward, brethren, if you would, and let's pray right now. God, we lay hands right now. Move in a mighty way upon the grandparents and also upon Don and Peggy. May the glory of the Holy Ghost come and rest upon them. Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Brother Moran, may God richly bless you. We love you a lot. Praise God. Peggy. May God richly bless you. We love you a lot. Mr. Betty, may God richly bless you. Thank you. Praise God.
Joseph, God bless you. Appreciate you. Hallelujah. All right, we want everyone to stand, if you would. We'd like for Don and Peggy to come and stand right out in front. And to greet you here tonight. All right, so any of you that would like to come, just come and stand here. We're just going to have a time of fellowship. Now the choir will come. Who was so hungry and robed in poverty, not knowing what he would do. To all of a sudden... Reach a point of desperation. He goes into a large grocery store. He has no money. He doesn't know if the grocery will be understanding and have mercy or not. But he takes everything he needs to feed himself and his family. And he goes up and down the lines just praying that somehow the grocery would be merciful and let him charge that bill or something. And so when he gets to the register and everything's all checked out, the clerk looks at him and says, Sir, forget about the money. Somebody stepped in here and paid the bill for you. And you see, that's exactly what Jesus did. While we all waited in line for the mere sustenance of life, not really knowing what we would do because we knew that one day we'd have to pay because it is declared the wages of sin is death. But you see, He, the giver of life, had the gift. He paid the bill. Now on both sides of the pulpit here, there is a place to kneel and pray. If you've never surrendered your heart to the Lord, If you've never made a start for God, there is a place in which you can come and kneel your knees. We have Christian workers all over this place who would be glad to step out with you and come and kneel right by your side. Give you instructions on repentance and what you need to do to make it right with the Lord. Here's one that stepped out already. Somebody else step out and pray with this young lady. Here's a young man who stepped out who'd come right here and pray. All right, God bless this one. Dennis is coming again. This time, Brother Nelson, if you just have Dennis to kneel and pray if he could. Some of you come here and pray with Bob over here. Praise God. Use the front pew right here. This will be good. Here's your young lady. Some of you sisters come and kneel over here and pray with her. Do we have others who'd like to step out? You cannot purchase it. You don't have enough money. But you see, Jesus Christ purchased everlasting life for you. Praise God. Would somebody else like to step out right from where they sit or stand tonight? Come on right now, would you? Would you come and give your heart to the Lord? Hallelujah. 
All right, we're going to ask the remaining congregation to either come find somebody to pray with or perhaps be seated and just bow your heads right there and pray. After you've prayed, you may consider yourself dismissed. God richly bless you for coming and being with us tonight. If you are a guest here, we want you to come back. And we'll be looking forward to meeting you again. May the Lord give you a good week. great move of the Lord here. Let's find someone to pray with. Would you do that? Come on. These people need the Lord. They've come to surrender their lives to the Lord. Praise God. Come on and find somebody to pray with.